Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery. I'm Anne. A quick note, we're doing our spring fund drive, so please visit btr.org backslash donate. Betrayal Trauma Recovery is a 501c3 and your donations are tax deductible. Please donate what you can. We're suggesting a $10 donation to help us continue to bring you quality information about how to heal from betrayal trauma. We also have started a really cool new self-care initiative. We've partnered with the Hair Rescue Project. Our events right now will take place in Centerville, Utah, and our first event will be on April 25th. This event includes a free haircut and style, a makeup makeover, a lunch, and some braiding fun. If you live in Utah and you're interested in this self-care event, it's just for you and it's all free, please email me at ann, A-N-N-E, at btr.org or visit our website for details. If you're interested in starting a self-care project in your area, please let me know. Email me and we can get that project going for you and the women in your area. Coach Sarah will be talking to us today about gaslighting tactics. I have been waiting for this, Sarah, since the last time we talked. Welcome. Thank you, Anne. I'm really glad to be here. Coach Sarah, has everyone gaslighted at one time or another in their life? Why do you think we as humans gaslight? Anne, I believe that yes, everyone gaslights at one time or another in their life. Usually people, when they gaslight, are going to fall into one of two categories. The first one, people who gaslight unknowingly and unintentionally. It's usually very infrequent and kind of will fall more on the mild side of gaslighting. Then there's those who have some awareness of what they're doing. They don't maybe know the full extent of what they're doing to the person that they're gaslighting, but they're at least somewhat aware. So to answer your question as to why do we gaslight, an unawareness of how we're feeling, a shame response or a defense response, basically self-protection or trying to really desperately cling to their reality or their truth. Finally, and this is, in my opinion, one of the most common ones, is just a lack of good communication. So I'm going to use an example for this. In my first podcast, I talked about a mom who told her son that he liked salad when he clearly did not. So in this example, the mom is not really aware or in touch with the feeling of being weary of her son complaining about the food that she makes. She doesn't really want to hear another complaint, so she desperately says, come on, you like salad. The mom is trying to get her son to feel a certain way about the salad. That's where the gaslighting happens. She's trying to convince him that his feelings are something different than they actually are. A non-gaslighting exchange would sound something a little bit more like this. Son, I know salad isn't your favorite, but it really hurts my feelings when I work hard to make you healthy food and you complain. Even if you're not excited about eating the salad, could you please not complain? That would be really helpful. Thank you. So as you can see, there's a pretty clear distinction there with the person that is, one, aware of their feelings, and two, able to clearly communicate what they're feeling and make a request of the person. That sounds like it takes a really emotionally healthy person to be able to do that. It really does. You know, it's one of the things that has been one of the biggest blessings for me in my work on gaslighting is the more I've studied gaslighting first as kind of a defense to protect myself and to teach my clients how to protect themselves for gaslighting. But the more I worked on it, the more I actually became self-aware in my own life of my feelings. And it has made my emotional health that much better to where I really believe I have the best relationships I've ever had. Mm-hmm. 
I feel like I'm at that point too. Even though my trauma is still really intense, like I'll be hit with something and I start crying or, you know, I feel Mm -hmm. a little helpless at times. In terms of the quality of my relationships and my ability to communicate and my ability to share my feelings, those are better now than they have ever been. So I have that like Mm -hmm. at least that foundation, even if the trauma is still hitting me from time to time, the way that I deal with it is so healthy. You know, I can say to someone, I'm feeling very traumatized right now. You know what I mean? I can like process what's happening, which is much better than I was before. I love how this process of recovering from trauma and finding out how to be safe teaches us all these healthy skills. Why do you think that addicts are more prone to gaslighting than non-addicts? When we look at the basic components of what is involved in addiction, there are a few key things that I think contribute to the addict's gaslighting. Number one, people are numbing their feelings with their drug of choice when they're an addict, right? So if you're numbing your feeling, how are you going to be aware and in touch with your feeling? That's kind of the, you know, the basic there. You have to be able to know what you're feeling in order to be able to communicate it. Number two, you've got people who are acting outside of their beliefs and morals. It's one of the key things they look for when they're trying to see if someone is an addict. When somebody does this, this reinforces their shame center. If I already feel ashamed about myself and you come to me with something that I've done and I don't want to be the wrong person again, I want to be the person that is right. So it has to be about you. So that's kind of the shame response thing. So people that are in active addiction are continuing to feed that shame center. Number three, people who are in active addiction have a need to keep their behaviors secret or hidden. This enables them to continue to feed their addiction. So that one's pretty straightforward. Again, I'd love to use an example. So if someone comes to me and asks me if I'm angry and I've numbed out my feelings, I'm very likely to tell them that they're wrong. They're imagining things even though they're actually correct, right? Because they can see my anger, but I can't even see it myself because I'm disconnected from it. If then you add in the shame center, then I'm likely to also turn it back around on that person and tell them that they're the one that is angry. So this is where another level of the gaslighting kicks in. If I'm in active addiction and someone comes to me saying that they felt like I'm distant and mind you, I am because I'm acting out, I'll likely tell them that they're imagining things so that they doubt their reality and stop looking into my behaviors. So those are three examples of the ways that addicts are more likely to gaslight and the reasons why. Mm -hmm. A healthy person, you ask them, hey, are you upset? And they're clearly upset. We'll say, you know, I am upset. This is what happened. And it's really been bothering me. You know, I mean, that would be a healthy exchange. Rather than, are you upset? No, I'm not upset. <laughs> you know, you're like, exactly. whoa, like clearly you're upset. Why? What is going on? You know, that is always an indicator of an unhealthy exchange. So tell us about the gaslighting tactics that pornography and sexual addicts use. And this is what I've been on the edge of my seat waiting for. Super excited to do this podcast. So I think it's really important for our listeners to hear the specific tactics that they use. We've got four main tactics that people are going to use to gaslight. The first one is to redirect responsibility. The second one is to discredit the other person's reality. The third one is that saying that the other person either needs psychiatric help or coaching or 12-step work, or they're going to dismiss it. 
like your psychiatrist or your coach, that's just them. Like that's not your words. They're not doing any good for you. You're actually worse than you were before. So dismissing it. The fourth tactic is going to be highlighting and or criticizing the other person's character flaws. Now, often these tactics are going to overlap. What I'd love to do is take a minute and give you just one scenario where I can point out how these different tactics are all pretty much used in just one sitting. Okay, that's awesome. Okay. We will have these tactics written in a list form on our website. So if you're like, what were those again? Don't worry. Go to btr.org backslash stories. You can find this article and these will be listed for you. Okay. Yes. I want to hear this example. Let's just say that you're out to dinner with your husband and he's flirting and staring inappropriately at the attractive woman that is your server. You then make a comment about how you feel like he's behaving inappropriately with this woman and it hurts you also makes you feel like you're not important to him in his response he says I am not doing anything inappropriate this is where he's discrediting your reality if you weren't so insecure you'd be able to see that you're completely overreacting here he's highlighting potential insecurities that pretty much we all have right so he's highlighting and criticizing your character flaws Besides, if I did flirt with her, it's because you're over there complaining and being cold towards me. That's where he's redirecting the responsibility. Again, if we were to look at a healthy response, the healthy response would be, you know, I'm really sorry that you feel that way, right? It's validating your reality. Even if they don't agree, they could say, I'm really sorry that you feel that way. I promise that's not what I was doing. Let me tell you what I was doing. You know, those kinds of things Like they're going to validate you. They're going to do what they can to reassure you and hear what you're feeling. And then I would even say, followed up with, how can I make you feel safe? How can I make this better for you instead of being defensive? Mm -hmm. So even if they're not doing something wrong, they still don't have to be defensive, right? They still can validate. Absolutely. That is so important. And the reassuring part, too. Mm -hmm. There were times where I would say, I just feel like you don't love me. And instead of giving me a hug... And telling me, oh, I'm so sorry. Of course I love you, right? I would say, I feel like you don't love me. And he'd like, why are you always saying this to me? You know what I mean? It was just a crazy mm-hmm. response to that. Like, I feel like you're really angry with me and I don't feel loved. How is yelling and, you know, either my my particular ex would yell and yell at me or even sometimes swear. How is that going to help me feel more loved? You know, it just... A lot of times does obviously doesn't make sense. To our listeners, what types of gaslighting have you experienced? Please go to btr.org backslash stories and comment anonymously on this post. We want to know how gaslighting has affected you. Sarah, what do you think the first step is to recognizing these gaslighting tactics in the moment in real time? I think what the first step is, is being able to kind of slow yourself down in the moment And realize when one of three key things is happening. Number one, you're confused. If things don't make sense, um, it just doesn't sound right, doesn't feel right, and there's just confusion in the air, that is a huge red flag that gaslighting is happening. The second is when things get flip-flopped and the other person plays the victim in the situation. So when you are getting blamed for things that aren't your responsibility or you're the one that's being blamed for um, the way that 
the situation is unfolding, any of those kinds of things where the victim is reversed and he becomes a victim. The third one is any time that you are told that your feelings aren't right or okay or invalidated in some way. So if any one of those three things is happening, you can pretty much be assured that there's something not right. Whether they're trying to gaslight you or not, it's a good time to take a time out, pause, collect your feelings, collect your thoughts, really clarify what's going on in the moment, and then you can decide whether or not they were trying to gaslight you. Mm-hmm. In learning about this, I've realized this is where I think I went wrong, is that my husband would be being abusive, and then I would say to him, this isn't right. This is not okay. Right. Mm. And then I'm realizing, wait a minute, I'm telling him that the way he feels isn't right or okay. It's coming from a place of abuse and abuse isn't right and it's not okay. So then I would get a little bit confused at this point. Right. This is where reality would get a little thin and really difficult to grasp. Do you have any thoughts on that phase of this very complicated issue? Yeah. I mean, I think what it is, even listening to you and the way that you would share your story and how things kind of interacted, you know, just adding in a few keywords, I think is the difference between stating your truth and trying to convince somebody else that your truth is their truth, mm-hmm. which is this isn't right to me. This isn't okay with me where you're clarifying what your feelings are, what your reality is, I think the biggest key difference is when we leave room for dialogue with the other person versus no room for dialogue. So for example, if I were to say, this isn't right, and you were to come back and say, I think it is, can we talk about this? And then I say, sure, let's talk about it. This doesn't mean we're going to change our viewpoint, but at least we're leaving room for dialogue as opposed to this isn't right. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is right? Where neither person is budging and Mm -hmm. both are trying to tell the other person what the reality is. In abuse situations, this is where it gets very tricky. Because if you leave the topic open for discussion, you just sometimes you could get further abused, right? Yes. So this is where things get really tricky. And this is where I think having a coach navigate this with you or guide you through Mm -hmm. this is super important. And a coach who gets it, like an AppSats coach, is really important because as I went to therapists, they were telling me, you need to leave room for discussion, right? Or mm-hmm. let's let's use better communication tools or whatever. And I would do those things and I would open it up a little bit more and then I would get even further abused, right? I think that's why having someone to assist us who knows what they're doing in these situations is so important so that you can stay safe because safety is our number one goal, right? Absolutely. I absolutely 100% agree. And I think, you know, one of the things that you mentioned there and why outside help is so important, and especially ones that are familiar with this and understand the trauma perspective when we're in a situation when there's a lot of gaslighting and we are being opened up to emotional abuse, one of the side effects is kind of losing touch with our voice. Also the crazy making that gaslighting creates. And what we need is that outside voice that can validate our experience and tell us, you know what, that was a great place where you could have said, I'm not going to allow this behavior 
It's not whether or not it's okay by anybody, right? So if someone's yelling at you to say, you know what, I don't deserve to be yelled at, right? Understanding where we can draw those boundaries while we're trying to figure out what's going on, while we're trying to get clarity because gaslighting can cause so much confusion, right? And we're trying to get to a place where there's clarity. And in the meantime, how do we decide if our person is going to change or not? How do we get that clarity and stay safe all at the same time? And it's super confusing and it's super complicated. And so I absolutely 100% agree that it's it's crucial to get that outside help. Absolutely. And I was just running around in circles using quote unquote healthy communication, you know, and all that stuff. And all of those things were just really keeping me in the abuse cycle, which was unfortunate, but that's what happened. BTR coaches, their number one priority is to establish safety first so that we can heal from the trauma. So as a coach, how do you help women establish emotional safety in their home so they don't experience this type of manipulation and abuse anymore? Honestly, and this is a long process. Gaslighting is so complex and nuanced. The first thing that needs to happen and the first thing that I do when I work with women around this topic is to help my ladies get reconnected to their reality and their truth so that at minimum they can have the awareness in the moment that they don't like what's going on, that something is off, you know, being able to recognize that confusion. Because if you can't start there, you're not going to be able to take the other steps. So the way I do this is by validating their experiences and their feelings, which they don't often get in their relationship and their marriage at all. As they begin to get reconnected to themselves, their truth and their voice, I then begin to teach them how to identify the different aspects of gaslighting. You know, we've got the tactics, we've got the types, we've got the ways that we're vulnerable to gaslighting, and we've got the different effects that it can cause that we can look for. So I'm trying to teach them all of these different things so that they can identify when it's happening. At the same time I'm teaching them these things, you've got to have healthy boundaries in place to create that safe place that you're talking about, which is absolutely priority. Once boundaries are in place, then we can help brainstorm around ways that they can respond when they're being gaslit, kind of like what you just talked about. How do I respond in a way that keeps me safe? How do I know when to engage in the conversation and when to pull back? How do I know when to try those healthy communication tools that you were given and when is it actually opening me up to harm? So brainstorming around ways that you can tell when is a good time and when isn't. Finally, I give them a space to practice using their voice. They'll tell me a situation that they went through where there was gaslighting and I help them speak out what they wish they could have said and what they want to say next time. And by actually verbalizing it to me, it helps them become more connected to it so that they're more likely to actually say it the next time. I know in my life, I have benefited greatly from learning about gaslighting and also learning about what behaviors to look for so that I knew when it was okay or not okay or safe or not safe to engage in a conversation, which is really what we're looking at with gaslighting. Is it safe for me to engage in a conversation with this person? And is it going to be productive, right? I think those are the things that we're looking for because in unhealthy relationships, sometimes we just spin our wheels quote unquote, communicating when there's really no communication actually taking place. 
Yeah. One of the things I say to my ladies all the time when I do my classes or my workshops on gaslighting, my goal in teaching them about gaslighting, it's not relationship repair. I wish it was, but that's not the guarantee. I can't guarantee if you learn about gaslighting and and start using these tools that you're going to repair your relationship. What I guarantee them is through learning about gaslighting and being able to get connected to their truth and their voice, they're going to get the clarity and the strength to be able to tell exactly those things you were just talking about, about Mm -hmm. whether it's safe to stay in a relationship, whether or not they can engage, whether or not things are healthy and safe or not. That's the guarantee of learning about gaslighting. So I'm very Mm -hmm. clear about that. Yeah, it's also a really scary thing saying, okay, I'm going to find out because you don't know what you're going to find out. And if you find out that, yeah, my husband is too unsafe to even engage in conversation with, then what do you do, right? Then it's like, oh man, now I have to do this or that. And so at least with me, I sort of lived in denial for a long time because I didn't want to deal with the consequences of what might happen if my relationship was in fact unhealthy, right? So I just wanted to force it to be healthy rather than taking a step back to really take a good look at it. I don't know. That's kind of depressing, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes we find out that our person is unhealthy and they're not willing to change. But we also find out that when we start changing the way that we respond to the gaslighting, they start moving with us. They start Mm -hmm. changing with us, like those that aren't recovery resistant, those that want to change and want to become healthy. They start adapting the new patterns of communication and they start increasing their awareness as well. And that is my hope for people, that as they make healthy choices, their life will become healthy, either through unhealthy things just naturally falling out of their lives or people coming with them, you know? Oh, I'm gonna come with you on this journey of mental health, which is really exciting. So I really hope that for all of our listeners. Thank you, Sarah, for being here. We appreciate your expertise on gaslighting. If you'd like to schedule an appointment with Sarah, visit btr.org, click on our menu at the top left corner and check out our coaches' bios, group coaching options, and our individual coaching schedule. You can schedule with Sarah or any of our coaches to help you start the healing process. If this podcast is helpful to you, please rate it on iTunes. Each rating helps other women who are isolated and need support find us. This podcast is also available on SoundCloud. Follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube as Betrayal Trauma Recovery. And our Twitter handle is at Betrayal Trauma. Again, if you're interested in our hair rescue project and you live in Utah, please email Anne at btr.org. And if you're interested in getting a self-care project together in your area, We'd love to facilitate that. Email me and we'll go from there. We're here for you. And until next week, stay safe out there.